Let us pray. Shadow the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said this morning that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said this morning that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing, obey. Amen. Do you remember the games that you used to play as a kid? Did you play tag? Did you play hide-and-seek? Kick the can? It's an old-school game. Stickball. Hopscotch? Did you play double dutch? Did you play any of the control freak games? Simon Says, Mother May I, Red Light, Green Light. These are the classic games that you play as a kid, but none of the games mentioned heretofore can touch the great granddaddy camp game of them all. They cannot touch the most classic camp game in the history of the universe. And that game is Capture the Flag. If you have never played Capture the Flag, what is wrong with you? <laughs> the game is simple enough. Here are the basic rules of the game and I will teach them to you and maybe we can play sometime. In the game of Capture the Flag, we have a field and it's split down the middle and on each side of the field is a team and a flag. And the goal of the game is for you to run from your side of the field to your opponent's side of the field, grab their flag, and run back to your side of the field without being caught. If you're tagged, you have to take the long walk of shame to the enemy team's jail and hope for a heroic rescue. The jail is usually nothing more than a small, combed-in area deep in enemy territory. It is customary to appoint several members of the team to be jailkeepers because, and this is very important, if someone from the other team runs over and tags their teammate in the jail without being tagged themselves, all the prisoners go free. So the jail area is usually a typically lively place. It's oftentimes more lively even than the flag area because you have prisoners jumping up and down and raising a ruckus and yelling for their friends to come over and tag them and free them from the jail. I mean, they probably look a whole lot like those gathered on the Mount of Olives waiting for Jesus to ride in on a donkey. I mean, these are people who have been confined too, aren't they? Confined to a way of living that had them pressed into some 
unnatural shape. And so they're on the Mount of Olives. Can't you see them? They're jumping up and down, yelling for him to come and free them. You can do all of the studies to learn that they are waving palms because that's what Leviticus says to do to remember the exodus and this was a new exodus and they, and they were laying down cloaks as a way for them to show that they believed Jesus to be a king. But I think they were just trying to do everything that they could to get Jesus' attention. It was a lively place and they wanted to be free. And so they didn't just wave branches or lay cloaks. They shouted, Hosanna, which means save us. Save us. Now, usually you don't hear anyone shouting, Hosanna, in Capture the Flag. But they still want to be saved. Most campers are desperate to be freed from the jail. But the thing is, about once every game, there is a camper that is less than enthused about playing the game. Picture Pastor Angela. And when that camper is tagged, there's no groaning, no jumping up and down, no promises to give up their firstborn child if someone will free them. No, they just walk with a disaffected stare over to the jail and sit down, content, and pick at the grass until the game is called. For that camper... The coned-in area has become their new horizon, and they're content with that. Where am I going with this? It's interesting, I think, how rare it is for a camper to give up on the game of Capture the Flag, for a camper to accept the coned-in area as their reality, especially since... In real life, most people are living in coned-in areas and picking at the grass and embracing that as reality. Most people have accepted that limited horizon for so long even that they truly and honestly believe that any small amount of movement that they're allowed in the coned-in area represents and constitutes a great amount of freedom. But that's not freedom at all, at least not as... Jesus understood freedom. Now, freedom is when your horizon for life matches God's horizon for you. Freedom is when your horizon for life matches God's horizon for you. Does your horizon for life match God's horizon for you. This is what those gathered on the Mount of Olives are there for. They know that God has something better in mind for them. They know that God does not have this pain that they feel in mind for them. 
They know that God does not have this anger that they have in mind for them. They know that God does not have this treachery that they are about in mind for them. They know that God does not have this heartbreak that they know, this angst that they live in, this grief that overwhelms them in mind for them. And so they stand on the Mount of Olives with the with the great horizon of Israel's promised land right there in front of them. And they know that God wants them to know a different horizon for their lives. Which is why they hold palms in their hands and shout, Hosanna, save us. And don't we want to shout with them? Don't we want to shout with them because we know that we aren't as free as we thought we were? Haven't we come to realize that what we once thought made us free doesn't actually make us free at all? Take, for instance, our ideologies or our belief systems. Our belief systems don't make us free. They just give us good standards for living in the Condon area. The same can be said of our education. It's disruptive to think that our education does not make us free. It just helps us to better understand the Condon area. It's disruptive to think that money doesn't bring us freedom. Money just helps us to move around in the Condon area and maybe give us a little leisure time while we're at it. And if our money is tied to an unhealthy consumerism, it doesn't even help us to do that. There was this one time I was at a mall and I was so thirsty and I went to the food court and there was this enormous snack stand and they had these huge, amazing buckets of iced tea. And so I went to the cashier and I said, I would like the largest glass of iced tea that you can sell me. And she said, that will be $1.19. Fair enough, I said, and I pulled out my debit card to pay for this $1.19 glass of iced tea. And I handed it to her, and she said, no, there is a $5 minimum for purchases with your debit or credit card. And so I looked at my daughter, and I asked if she would like an iced tea, and she said yes. And I grabbed a candy bar and a couple bottles of water. In order to buy this one glass of iced tea, I was having to buy all of these different things. And she rang me up, and do you know what it came to? $4.37. And I put my car on the counter and I shook my head. This isn't freedom. This money has nothing but captured us. So not only does our ideology and our education and our money fail to bring us true freedom from our combed-in area, oftentimes these things serve as the very shackle that keep us from living in to what God intends for us. They are no more a shackle, however, than a great many other things. I'll give you that. 
our worry. It keeps us hemmed in to that coned-in area. Our lack of trust keeps us locked down. Our lack of confidence in ourselves keeps us hemmed in. It robs us of our true freedom. I have a friend that is good at everything. He is annoyingly good at everything. Do you have a friend like that? I will not take this friend golfing because this friend has never played golf and I don't want him to find out that he is good at golf on my watch. This friend called me the other day for advice and he was telling me about a big job interview for a challenging church job that he was really interested in and I said, go for it. And then came the real question. He asked, do you think I'm good enough? And do you know what I told him? No. Honestly, I don't think you're good enough. But that's why we have the gospel, to make up for the fact that we are not good enough. Those that stood and watched Jesus enter the city knew that they were not good enough. Palms in their hands. They had tried for thousands of years through prophets, priests, and kings. And it, and it never gave them the freedom that they wanted, the horizon that God intended for them. They knew they weren't good enough. We aren't any different. We are not even good enough to lift up our eyes and see God's horizons for us by our own strength. But thankfully, just as God's horizons are not tied to our ideology or our education or our money, God's horizons are not tied to our chutzpah. God's horizons have nothing to do with our capacity. We don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be good enough. Because any capture the flag player knows, as any good capture the flag player knows, as long as one person remains free, even if everyone else is in jail, as long as one person is free, there is a chance. There's a chance that the one person will run over and cross the line and tag us. Tag us out of the coned-in area. As we wave our palms and lay our cloaks to get his attention, so that we're all free and the great celebration of human life can begin again. And that is the good news. There is one that is free. One dynamic enough to cross the line from heaven to earth to touch and free us. What's his name? They called him a prince. What's his name? They called him a lamb. And his name is Jesus. And he is the truth. And the truth will set you free. As free as children running wild in a grassy field. Through him, 
we are free. Free to run into the horizon he hopes for us. And so with me, won't we shout, Hosanna. Amen.